I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. In 1983, I was sitting and reading an article on mobile phones. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. All my well-wishers have told me, hey, why are you doing this? Famous companies saying that there'll be only a million phones in the year 2000. Sandeep Chanakashu. Well, I'm 65. I'm an electrical engineer. Turned into a business manager who had the fortune of working with different companies. The one thing that I wanted to do was to actually play cricket, and I was just not good enough stakeholder confidence the three stakeholders so we have customers we have shareholders and we have employees how do you balance creating confidence across those three groups so that you serve all of them if i take a poll across the room of all the people i worked with i would get some sort of the one closing note in my book you know i always tell people that look in life do Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. Success Story is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Quick question before we get started. Did you ever play the game telephone as a kid? You start with one message, but as people share it, it gets more and more distorted. Sometimes work can feel that way. But the last thing 
you want for your business is to get a distorted message across your team. HubSpot helps you say goodbye to that chaos by helping you get all your teams on the same page. It's all in one. Your customer facing teams will absolutely love it. You track leads, deals, support tickets, and everything in between all from one spot. You need to know what your sales team is up to? Done. Want to see how your marketing campaigns are performing? You got it covered. HubSpot gives you and your teams all the vital customer info they need to create the best possible experience, no matter where they are. Save yourself the headache. See how powerful true connection can be. Give HubSpot a try. Your team and your customers will thank you later. Get started for free today at HubSpot.com. A lifelong student and aspiring teacher with a heart for technology and a mind for business. With a bachelor's degree in electronics, he earned a postgraduate diploma in industrial management from the Indian Institute of Science, an MS in electrical engineering from the University of Saskatchewan, and a PhD in electrical engineering from Southern Methodist University. After completing his education, Sandeep entered the electronics industry, where he was fortunate to lead the development and launches of technologies that billions use every day via cell phones, laptops, wearables, satellites, medical equipment, and cars. As a fellow of the IEEE and a named inventor of 180 patents, he has made huge impact on the industry. After spending two decades in corporate roles as CTO of Ericsson Mobile Phones and Sony Ericsson, President of Ericsson Mobile Platforms, SVP at Freescale, President of BlackBerry Technology, and EVP at AMD, he returned to consulting in the startup world. He's currently COO at Under Inc., a pioneer in digital imaging radar, and sits on the advisory board of exciting tech startups. Over the span of his career, he has managed operations in 14 different countries, which gave him a deep appreciation for global businesses. Through his cultural journey, he led the transformation of three underperforming businesses using the principles outlined in his new book, Your Company is Your Castle, Proven Methods for Building a Resilient Business. Yep, so uh, Scott, First, thank you for having me on your show. And your question is actually a really good one because I've contemplated a lot on that single question. I've had many moments in my life that have changed things for me, but probably the most transformational was in 1984. Uh, actually, 83, sorry, it was 1983. I was sitting in, uh, in the library in the University of Saskatchewan in the engineering building and reading an article in winter on mobile phones. And I was fascinated by the concept that Bell Labs was working on. And uh, I went to my professor and said, you know, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And he said, wonderful. I can't supervise you anymore. If you want to do this, go apply to a school in America. And of course I got a scholarship to go and pursue a PhD in mobile radio. But all my friends, all my well-wishers, including a lot of professors told me, hey, why are you doing this? Uh, this, is, this field is going nowhere. Uh, by the way, a famous company is saying that there'll be only a million phones in the year 2000. And why don't you go into signal processing where you can have a real career? And uh, you know, when you're young and impressionable, all of that is daunting because you know whether you're making the right choice because you're getting highly specialized. And I actually decided to uh, pursue, uh, I'm sorry about this ringing sound in the background. No, no, it's fine. I, I decided to actually uh, uh, pursue uh, my career uh, in mobile phones. 
because I believed, you know, these things that were strapped onto people's backs with backpacks was going to change as all technology does. It's the best decision I made and it taught me about conviction. So I went ahead, I did a PhD and uh, as soon as I graduated, I got, I said, I'll take the first job I got. And uh, one thing led to another and I had an amazing career for the next 20 years. <laughs> Um, so what are what are some of those things that led to another? I'm very curious because the 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 levels that you have operated at are are of some of the the most senior levels and some of the largest companies in the world that are very very well known household names. So uh, I don't want to spend too much time on on career because there's a lot of lessons that we're learning that can apply to people that are are not working at some of the largest organizations in the world. But it is interesting to know. Like, how did you get to those types of positions? You said 20 years. Was it, uh, it was just spending the time? Was it strategic? Was it looking at certain companies that were disruptive or paving the way? Like maybe some career lessons that you've learned as you, as, as you grew. Yeah, I think there are a few lessons, you know, so I was a researcher and uh, I was doing basic research on mobile phones and wireless technology, and I was highly respected. Uh, and uh, in because of the papers I wrote and the teams and the team I built, which was a very, very good team. But I realized that, hey, I was researching products that I could not build. I had no idea of building products. So I had to get out of my comfort zone. That's the first lesson I learned. I said, get out of your comfort zone and go and learn to build a product. So I basically, uh, went into, uh, I, I got an opportunity. There was a manager who was, they were recruiting for a manager to run ASIC development or chip development for cell phones. I volunteered and I realized getting out of your comfort zone is the hardest thing because once you learn it, you can do it over and over again. But I suddenly went from being the expert to someone who knew nothing about product development. And my own team, uh, you know, was wondering why did they bring this guy and uh, so I, I it gets a little you you have to get a little used to being the runt in the litter you know when you make a switch like that but I realized you know that it, there's a way to adapt so I started getting up every morning and studying from everything I could learn from books and then during the day I would dissect the products that we built go to the lab make measurements have people who could do, make measurements teach me about it. And I learned from anyone and everyone who would teach me. And in a couple of years, I got really strong in, in this development aspect. And uh, I was able to lead better. And with that confidence, and I was also able to contribute. So with that confidence, I regularly rotated through multiple jobs in the company always remembering that I would know less initially, but learn more with time. And in a few years, by doing this repeatedly, uh, I probably had a, a toolkit that not many possessed. So they promoted me to being the general manager of the business. Uh, and once again, I made huge mistakes because I, didn't, I knew about technology and operations, but not about business. And so I had to learn business. And you know, you make a lot of mistakes, but every stumbling, I always use this phrase, every stumbling block became a stepping stone for success. 
And with time, I was able to learn how to run a business. And then once again, I said, hey, you know what? I've got to not, now not only learn to run a thriving business, but how about I volunteer for jobs where I have to fix a broken business? And especially in a foreign country where the culture is different. And I got an opportunity to do that and that turned out to be successful. And I kept doing that for a while. And then a little later I said, you know what? Uh, maybe I should leave my corporate role and go and become an independent consultant and start my own company. So now I'm going to look at companies outside in. I would have no background of what problems they had. I would be thrown a problem and I had to go solve it. And, uh, and that was a completely new experience and I learned to do that. And then I got back into the corporate world because the last company I analyzed and said, you know, this is what we need to do to fix. I had to go back and actually fix it. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally checked something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary. 
for two weeks free. So by repeatedly getting out of my comfort zone and learning kind of gave me this perspective. And also, you know, I got picked because of the toolkit I developed. I got picked for senior jobs. Actually, the odd thing is I've never applied for a job in my life. I was always picked. Really? Yeah. And so when you're looking at, so I'm looking at the, the, the short resume that I have in front of me with some of these roles, right? So we're talking, uh, there was a CTO of Ericsson Mobile Phones. You had president of Ericsson Mobile Platforms. You had senior vice president at Freescale, president of BlackBerry Technology Solutions, executive vice president at AMD. These were roles that you were picked for? Yes. When you were... I was always invited to take the role. I never applied for any of these jobs. Wow. Fascinating. Huh. And when what do you think what do you think differentiated you in the corporate world because I think that there's so much focus now on again entrepreneurship which is very important even even like the the book that you've wrote uh, and I'm assuming some of the lessons from it they can be very much applied to people that are coming up and building businesses from scratch and founders uh, but I mean a lot of these lessons came from your your corporate experience so what as an individual, first of all, what did you do? You said you 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 made yourself almost the linchpin because you had so many different skill sets that you accumulated over your career. But even with that, is it seems so basic, so simple. So for somebody that is not interested in building a business or being an entrepreneur, you've you've been placed at the highest levels of of corporate. So you learn all these different skill sets, but then how do you position yourself to be picked for president, CTO of a multi-billion dollar corporation? I think there are a couple of things, right? Uh, you know, the, you can acquire as much knowledge and experience as possible in any field. You don't have to be uh, trained to be a general manager. You can be an expert in sales, or you can be an expert in marketing, or you could be an expert in product management. But... Uh, one of the things that uh, I feel uh, it depends on how you get, you know, the true test is when you're battle tested and you get results. Okay, you have to basically go through, like when you're playing a game, I, I love cricket a lot and I played some decent cricket. And, you know, I always said that the people who are the best players have three things they have talent. They have technique, but they have to have the temperament. Otherwise, you can never succeed at the, at the senior levels. And uh, what all your knowledge and everything you learn on the job depends on your talent and your skill, which is a technique. But how do you basically deal with difficult situations and bring results? Your ability to solve problems on the job in a practical manner and get results is what matters. And I think that's what differentiates people. You know, in tough situations, can you actually deliver? You know, how do you deal with adversity? How do you learn from success and failure? How do you say, stay true to yourself? You know, and how do you basically deliver, you know, to the requirements of your stakeholders, which are your investors, your customers, and your employees? That's what differentiates people. 
Now, as you as you go through your career and your journey, there was a point where, and you mentioned this, and I want to understand the timeline and what prompted you to move away from working for large corporations, move away from some of these roles, consulting, startup, uh, writing a book based on your learnings. What was that? What was that transition in your career? Why did you move away from this? Why did you, this is something that you wanted to take on? Uh, I'm, I'm curious about sort of your lens and what you looked at, like your future growth. Yeah, I, I constantly like to stretch myself. You know, yeah, so I see a theme. I, I see yeah, a theme now. It's because, you know, like even today, you know, on weekends, I write about finance, economics and technologies that I don't learn, know about because I try to learn. And I send it out to experts to say, you know, am I on the right track because I write papers. But one of the things I found when I was in a corporation, as I grew, went up the ladder, even though I'm, most people who work with me know I'm deeply hands-on, right? Uh, I felt that I had an army of people who were helping me and all my success I attribute to my teams, right? If I had failures, it was because of me, but if I had success, it was because of, uh, you know, my teams. At some point I felt, look, uh, can I do things myself or am I too reliant on everyone who helped me? So my foray to start my own consulting business, you know, when I was doing restructuring of other companies and doing strategy analysis and solving difficult technical problems for them, I had to do it myself. I had no team, right? And it's easy because when you're a consultant, right, if you mess up, they never invite you again and your reputation is damaged. So it is, it is a high risk. So, uh, you know, and I had to basically prove to myself I could do that. Uh, the same thing with going to a startup, you know, um, I've been offered uh, big CEO jobs four times in my career or maybe five times. And I've always said no, because I like the operation part. I don't like the front facing part as much. So anyway, but going to a startup is completely different because in a startup, you have two things that are constraining. One is you never have enough money. You're constantly raising money. People give you enough for the next milestone. Okay. Uh, and the second thing is you have a lot less people. And so you have to be a switch hitter to use a baseball term. You know, you have to do multiple things. And, uh, and that's what you learn to do. So you're actually, again, growing your toolkit enormously. And so the theme is quite, quite it's a standard theme, right? You, you stretch yourself, you try to find new things, you find out what are your limits. And writing the book was really cathartic because, you know, I had to write about both my successes and my failures because that's how you truly learn. And it's hard sometimes to admit where you messed up. Let's just take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, HubSpot and the HubSpot Podcast Network have incredible podcasts you have to listen to, like Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas. He's been in the podcast game for forever. He gives you insightful interviews. Now, imagine this. You're getting firsthand experience from successful entrepreneurs like Kevin Lannister, who knows a thing or two about navigating the chaos in rapidly changing industries. He runs the fastest growing IT company in the world. Or Tyler Wagner, who believes in the power of your story to scale your business online. Or how about learning from Tom Antion's old but gold insights on transforming hobbies into streams of passive income. If you are an entrepreneur, 
you need to listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. It's really hard. Oh, always. <laughs> always, you know. And so uh, when I wrote the book, I had to ask myself in, a, in really hard questions, hey, when you failed here, why? Why did you fail? Right? The other thing is when you send the book out for reviews, you get harsh feedback. And, and that's great because initially for two days you're upset and I had to go and run a lot just to get it out of my head. But then after you basically get over that and you say, you know what? Actually, I've got to look at this book from the lens of the reader, not from my lens. And then you start uh, you know, internalizing what the reader says and you make corrections. And I did 51 revisions of my book. And my, the, when I said it's enough, when I sent it to a, a number of professors and CEOs that I respect very highly, who I didn't know very well. And if they gave me an A grade, I said, okay, then I'll publish. Would you recommend, what, last question on, last question on, I guess, career advice for people before we dive into some of the topics that you wrote about. Um, would you recommend that somebody earlier on in their career follow a path similar to yours where they go into a large corporation and uh, jump into roles that they maybe are not quite ready for and learn? Or do you think it's more beneficial for somebody to work in a startup? You know, it depends. It depends. Uh, you know, they're both different. They're very different. And it depends on each one's personality. You know, I went into a big company because there's so much more to learn. And in every area, because it's quite established, right? So there are a lot of people you can learn from. And you can, you can go from it's one compartment to another compartment and become, you know, learn more and more. In a startup, it is not as organized. It is a little more chaotic. Okay. And you have to basically be extremely, uh, you know, you should have a lot of knowledge to kind of rotate department to department. And so it really depends if you are someone who's very structured and you have a particular way of learning, then I would say a big company is better. You know, if you're somebody who actually thrives with an informal structure, uh, then a startup is definitely better. So it's a little difficult, right? I, I found my journey, I learned a lot more in a big company and I could contribute more to a startup when I went there because I could bring all that knowledge from and structure, uh, systematic structure that I could, I've built in a big company into a startup without the bureaucracy. Very good. I, I love that answer. And I think that's just wise words for somebody that I think there's a little bit of an overemphasis and excitement to join startups. And I'm a big advocate for helping people understand what they're, they're getting themselves into sometimes if they don't quite understand what a startup really is. And it's not as, um, it's not as fun sometimes as maybe maybe some some college grads think it is when they're jumping into it, and it's very stressful. So, let's talk about let's talk about the 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 thesis of of what you've written. So the thesis of of what you've written is that your company is your castle, which is also the name of the book, and obviously that's all going to go in the show notes, and people can go check it out. But what what does this thesis mean? Your company is your castle. I've heard the term moat before when it comes to business in terms of business analogies, but I've never heard the the analogy of the company the entire company is is a castle so walk me through what this means yeah so i asked the question uh, i actually read this in a in an article in forbes that why do two-thirds of all companies fail within 10 years 
you know, 20% fail within two years, 45 in five years, and 65% in 10 years. And there are a whole bunch of reasons. Okay, it's well chronicled. And so I said, you know, I, I thought about my own career and why companies that I worked in went to the highest of highs and fell down to the earth. Why? And I, the common answer to what I've read, researched, and experienced in my own companies is that sometimes speed is not as important as systematically building structure. Okay. And when you, when you go for speed, you miss a lot of things. And, and so I basically said, okay, if I want to basically build, uh, the way I've been successful in building companies, I began with you know, this company called Ericsson Mobile Platforms, where I was sent to Sweden to help uh, realize its potential. You know, the company had invested a very large amount of money. We had nothing to show. We were bleeding. For every dollar we made, we lost a dollar. Uh, our customers were getting anxious and everybody was contemplating our failure. And I put this framework to work. And in a year, we became profitable. And within a few short time thereafter, we took 30% market share in the world. And I said, what was the structure? And of course, I repeated this formula multiple times and it always worked. It's even working in my startup now. So, uh, so what was this? And I said, the analogy I used is I said, take a medieval castle. I was looking for an analogy and an extended metaphor. And I said, look at the castle. Medieval castles have lasted, some of those that have lasted, have lasted 500 years plus. All around the world, whether it's in Japan, in India, in, in England, Wales, uh, the Czech Republic, etc. So these castles had a number of structural elements that have made them withstand nature's elements over the centuries, as well as invaders. And a company likewise needs to withstand macroeconomic factors like recessions, depressions, pandemics, etc., and hordes of competitors. So it is a nice analogy. And I said, what are these elements? So I said, if you, if you look at a castle, you have to find the right location, which is unassailable, hopefully. You need a solid foundation to take the weight of the castle and build a tall castle. You need a perimeter wall that protected it from invaders. And right in the center was the keep where people lived, they stored granaries, they stored their ammunitions, etc. And that turns, you know, that has a certain meaning. And, and then you have to protect the strategy, which is the perimeter wall, with towers, because you don't want people scaling these long walls that are unprotected, or you don't want them tunneling underneath. And then you also talk about, so there are a number of towers, and then you talk about uh, you know the the, the central portion of the castle, the keep, needs a roof to prevent it from enemy arrows and from hail and snow and rain, etc. And so, you know, I took these elements and said, I likened them to a business. And in my analogy, I said, you know, the, uh, the picking of the location is the business model. You want your business model to be as unassailable as possible. The foundation is cash flow. Without cash, you can't do anything. Without cash, you can't build a big, big business. And then I said the perimeter wall of this was a strategy. The strategy surrounds the entire business. And that wall has to be protected by a number of towers. And those towers are product creation, 
products or services. It could be either products creation, product delivery, you know, sales channels, and execution. Because if each of these, any of these fail, the wall is not going to stand for long. And the central portion of this castle, the key, is the culture. You know, strategy is what you want to get done. But culture determines what you actually get done. And when culture falls, the entire castle falls because it doesn't matter if the walls are standing. And so I, I talk about culture as the key. And then the roof on the keep is stakeholder confidence. And there are three stakeholders. You have your investors, you have your customers, and you have your employees. And they're the triangle of trust. If you break the trust with or any of them, you're toast. So I go on to explain how these elements actually build a very, very strong castle or a strong company and how they're interrelated. And then the last part of my book is I talk about now that you've learned to build a strong castle and I give you a lot of recipes and, and mm -hmm. checklists. But at the end of it, I say, now, how do you basically build yourself to run such a castle? And that's the whole book. I love it. Let's go into let's go into some of it makes a ton of sense. I love I love the analogy. Um, let's go into some of the let's go into some of these strategies so that people can at least um, take some really tangible things away. So there's so many different elements. And and I always hate asking like, what's what's the most important because they're all obviously very important. That's the concept of the castle. It's it's none of them can exist without the other entities. Uh, and they're the, holistically, they create this ecosystem that leads to a strong business. And I'll ask, actually, I'll ask in a second, uh, maybe some of the the more uh, tactical strategies for pick pick an element or two. But before we do that, what are what are really glaring examples of companies that um, that haven't done this properly? And what is the pick a company that has failed? What is the thing? that they missed the mark on to sort of highlight the importance. I'm sure you have some thoughts on, on different companies that have <laughs> grown too fast, but like, I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to make you talk about the ones you don't want to talk about, but other companies, for example, Yeah, I'm going so to what be are little, some of them? I'm going to be a little political and, and uh, yes, say no problem. Is, uh, because, you know, the two most important things, uh, because, you brought up that what are the two most important concepts? I talked about eight elements, but what are the two most important? Uh, I think that you must have, um, actually, there are three very important things. I'll, I'll, I'll mention the three most important. The three most important is when you build a strategy, you have to think it through very carefully. Okay, there are three elements of a strategy that if you get wrong, you're invariably going to fail. So the three elements of the strategy are how big is your opportunity you're addressing? Don't go after little opportunities. Go after big opportunities. Okay, you want to go and fish in lakes full of fish so that you can basically catch something reasonable. Okay, And especially, I call it open spaces. Go to somewhere where no one else is fishing so you can catch something. Okay, The second is, is your product relevant to the market? How do you make sure it's relevant, right? A lot of products have been launched, which either customers did not like, there was no need. And I make a lot of, I talk a lot about these, I've given examples in the book. Or 
they've come too late when others have already been entrenched. Okay? Now, your biggest opportunity there is the example I give is the iPhone. You know, they entered when they were, the leader had for over 400 million phones. They were selling 400 million phones in the market. But the leader basically didn't missed out a major issue. They did not realize the value of an application store and the user interface, which the iPhone solved. That was a fundamental customer need, and they toppled an entire industry and rose to the top. So product relevance, knowing what your customers want and need, is most important. Find out what your competitors are not doing or will not do and see if you can address it. All of that relates to relevance. Make sure you have sustainable differentiation. So that's the second element of the three in strategy. The third element is do you have the capability to execute on your differentiation and your relevance and capture the opportunity? If you don't, you're not going to succeed however brilliant your idea is. So that's about strategy. The second aspect is culture. You know, as I said earlier, strategy is what you want to get done. Culture is determines what you actually get done. How do you build the culture to execute and build? And in my book, I talk about uh, two things. I call it raising the right army and leading the right army. It's both a combination of leadership and instilling the set of beliefs that you need in your team in order to execute to the strategy. Okay. Uh, I won't go too much into this, it's in the book. Uh, and the third part is you have to be able to generate cash. Nobody trusts a company that bleeds constantly and does not meet its promises. So it's I've devoted an entire chapter to basically managing cash and managing risk and figuring out how you generate more cash, okay? And fiscal prudence uh, is extremely important in doing this. So those are the three elements that stick out as, it, it's, it's very fundamental to how I run my businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, if I can't get these three things right, everything else doesn't matter. I'm curious about what your thoughts are on companies that have scaled without being profitable. And I think that that's something that we saw in, in, you know, in Silicon Valley with some companies that grew too quickly. And I feel like I just had a conversation um, with a friend the other day about how uh, capital is more scarce than it has been before. There's a lot of dry powder on the sides for investing, but uh, people are looking at profitable companies companies that are cash flowing, companies that aren't bleeding money. Um, do you think that this is, uh, I mean, I, I, I would actually rephrase, why do you think companies didn't adhere to this? Why do you think companies like, for example, Amazon, their investors waited 20 plus years for them to be profitable, but it seems like that's a, a very risky move. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't work for everyone. It may work for a few companies. I mean, Uber was not profitable for many years. Uh, I mean, Airbnb was not profitable for many years. And of course, now they make money. So there are some companies that are disruptive that can, can have a strategy like that. But by and large, most companies, you know, especially if you're venture capital funded, 
at some point, uh, venture capitalists have to cut their losses if you're not going to make money. So it's extremely important you focus on how to make money to fund your development. Because take, for example, uh, if you take a startup like mine, uh, you know, where I'm the chief operating officer, it's a brilliant startup. I mean, nobody has done digital radar uh, at the size of uh, your thumbnail, right? And is able to do what we can do. And we've been funded to get the product so far. But we are in the automotive world. And in the automotive world, you need that product to be have a lot of compliance. So it's not good enough to be technically brilliant. You have to have the right quality. You have to make sure it is you pass all the safety certification. You have to make sure your software is compliant to certain processes that have extreme rigor. And that rigor is not found in consumer electronics. Okay, you need to have volume production with very, very stringent conditions. Again, not found in consumer electronics. And you, so you have all these conditions that you have to engage, that you have to go through. Otherwise, you'll never be successful because nobody will buy from you. And these, this is capital intensive. So you have to consistently demonstrate to your investors that you're on the right track if you're not nobody's going to fund you so it's extremely important to have structure uh, otherwise you're going to just fail because you'll have a clever idea and you'll run out of money so when i started my own business years ago i felt like i was being thrown into the deep end and there's a podcast i'm going to talk about in just a second that i wish i had when i was building anything from scratch the podcast some of the startups i worked in it's called the Millionaire University Podcast. It's not just another business podcast with jargon and theory. The two hosts, Justin and Tara Williams, they've been there, done that, built their own multi-million dollar business from scratch. This podcast is like having a personal mentor, a successful millionaire, giving you a masterclass each episode. They walk through highly tangible, tactical business strategies that they have used in their own business that will definitely make your life easier. They also bring on some of their own mentors that have helped them in their journey, as well as bring on new entrepreneurs that are figuring things out. And it's kind of like a Q&A classroom session. So if you are ready to take the next step in your business, you want to scale it to at least seven figures and beyond, you need to listen to the Millionaire University podcast. They drop episodes every Monday and Thursday, and they've also built a community around this podcast. So if you are an entrepreneur, go down this rabbit hole. You can find their podcast, the Millionaire University podcast, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I wish I had something like this when I started my own business. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Trust me, you won't regret it. And for like an example for something like that, um, I'm super curious. How did you create that investor confidence? Because you said it's very capital intensive. So another sort of lesson for an entrepreneur who is in a business that is disrupting, they're doing something new. It's not like they can sell the widget day one. So what did they do? What, is, what has been your experience in, in being successful with venture capital? So two things I think come to mind. One is you have to deliver on your promises. So if you commit revenue, if you connect, uh, commit delivery accuracy, you have to hit it, right? You can't make excuses. And so you have to prudently allocate your funds to meet your commitments. When you don't meet your commitments, uh, people don't trust you. 
And trust is very simple. It's like lime and milk. You squeeze lime into milk, it curdles. You can never make it milk again. So it's extremely important you meet your commitments. The second, you have to have a credible revenue plan. So in these cases where it's seven to nine years to before you can make money, you have to have design wins at least. Maybe you're not getting the revenue through actual product, but people know the automotive world has uh, the a design cycle is four years, right? But you have to show that you actually have traction with design wins. Otherwise, people will not trust that you're actually in. Demos don't help. Design wins do. I was I was curious um, because you mentioned that cash is so important. And I think that's a great lesson and something I, I very much agree with. Um, I want to understand the other core tenant. I mean, there's there's levels to this. We've spoken about so many different levels of core things that are integral to business success to reduce that two-thirds company failure rate in, in the first 10 years. But stickiness was another thing that you highlighted. What, what do you mean by stickiness? Define stickiness. How can an entrepreneur look for stickiness in their product? Yeah, so... So stickiness, my definition of stickiness is that in the face of competition, why do customers, why will customers stay with your product rather than switching to the alternative? If that barrier is low, they will switch. How do you ensure that that barrier is as high as possible in order that they stay with you? And my, my answer to that is you want to make your customers, uh, you want to be a very critical portion of your customer's value system and value creation. You want them to build on your foundation or your element, whatever you're providing. You want them to build a skyscraper on it because then it's highly unlikely that they will replace you with an alternative just because the alternative has some nice attributes. It is the amount the customer invests in your product, right? Whether it is personal investment, whether it's corporate investment, whatever, you know, and some examples are, take for example, Shopify. Why do, be, why do companies use them and why are they growing? It's because uh, people have built large stores based on this concept. What about cloud systems? When you build an uh, entire uh, application or a process based on uh, such enterprise software or a cloud system, it's difficult to rip it apart and then go to someone else because you, you kind of launched your entire business on it. Uh, cell phones is another example. Why is it that people like uh, the Samsung ecosystem or uh, the Apple ecosystem? It's because they are used, they like the user interface, they've invested in the user interface, they like the applications, they like the ease of use. So there's no need to switch, right? There must be a compelling reason to switch. Uh, and so how stickiness is all about building the customer investment in your product. So it's not worth it for them to leave. Is that something that can, uh, we're, we're talking about at, at the highest level, enterprise products, 
But then at um, even a consumer level, we're talking about like a, a phone that people, you know, they spend a fair amount of money on the phone, they're invested in it, and they, they expect to have a phone for a period of time. Even in, in smaller products, have you seen a good example of a company do that with a CPG product or a, a, a much lower priced widget? I'm thinking of even taking that stickiness, and I don't have a perfect example, but how would we even apply that to a household product that we're absolutely in love with? What is the differentiator when it's a commodity? But there still is a stickiness factor. I just don't know how to, I don't know how to pin it, but I know they figured it out. Yeah, it's no, it, that's a really good question. I mean, sometimes it is just, uh, you know, it's, it's an example is, uh, the example I would give is a Tylenol. You know, why is some brands of Tylenol? It's the same ingredient in all of the these. pharmaceutical. Yeah, exactly. So and so, so why is it that uh, one company uh, is better than another? And, uh, you know, and so I think uh, because I think they've also basically marketed it in a way to say that it has uh, better curative effects, although the ingredients of other brands is exactly the same. <laughs> so I think uh, uh, it's it's an example, right? So yeah, no, I, I, it's very interesting to me because I I do again I I fully understand that and believe it, and it makes a ton of sense when you're talking about building a platform for others to build on, like incredibly sticky. But when the switching costs are so low for a consumer product. There is an element of stickiness. How do you create it? And I'm sure it's a combination of, like you mentioned, marketing. It's it's affinity and trust with the brand. It's, uh, I mean, there's probably um, like very traditional marketing things. Like it makes you feel cool or feel accepted or feel a certain way. And that creates a psychological stickiness that people don't want to move away from. I mean, exactly. Look at, I mean, an yeah. example is Nike, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, they both they've created, and uh, uh, the same goes for you know Lululemon or uh, you know there's uh, there are other cases uh, like you know in some areas the stickiness is not the product itself but it's the quality. So, for example, you have operating systems like BlackBerry has a, a, a company called QNX. It's a it's a division of BlackBerry. They build an operating system that is very highly rated on safety. And, you know, for two decades, people have used it and have not had returns. So, you know, forget the technical attributes. That attribute in itself, that it's been safe and is used in 200 million cars, uh, creates stickiness. Why, why work with something that is not proven and this is proven? So. That itself creates stickiness. So I talk about these various factors that drive mm -hmm. stickiness in the book. I love this. Okay. Uh, one other thing that you mentioned, um, just so people can wrap their mind around it. We spoke about all these different factors that makes a good company, but you alluded to the, the type of person that one person has to be to build a company like this. So explain, is this a learned trait? Is this a personality trait? Is this the... Angela Duckworth grit uh, persona that's great for entrepreneurship. What is the person that needs to build um, a, a company that is akin to a castle that can la outlast these 10 years and, and go on forever? You know, Scott, it's uh, everyone's journey. I don't believe there's a single formula. Everyone's career journey is unique. 
and so it's also personal right there is no one formula i love uh, i wrote this in an article i love the definition of what makes a leader uh, i'm going to use uh, uh, something from joel arthur barker's book he says that uh, a manager is someone who manages within a paradigm and a leader is someone who manages between paradigms so in order when that paradigm shift happens and you can lead that paradigm shift what characteristics do you have to do that because if that shift is sufficiently large you have to have people help you and how will they follow you how will you convince them to make that change the leap with you and you know uh, i have seven beliefs you know and uh, i'm sure others have other, that was my personal journey and my seven beliefs were that you have to dream with conviction because there'll be score of skeptics scores of skeptics who will tell you that you are wrong when things are bad but how do you basically stay on that path that's when you need conviction and courage and you have to persevere okay because come hell or high water you're going to get there and you can't keep changing okay uh the second is uh you know you have to basically uh learn to deal with adversity you know um there's a lot of things that will happen to you along the way and uh when those things happen to you you can't just give up You know, a professor friend of mine gave me a great analogy. He said something. You know, I was very upset once that something didn't happen as I expected it to, and I was really upset. And he told me, he said, "Sandeep, look, if you were a person who had one sandwich on their plate, and somebody took it from you, you should be upset. But if you had a number of sandwiches on your plate and someone took one, you shouldn't worry. You're someone who can create opportunities." so focus on that don't focus on what you lost okay the third is uh, i always say i i talked about this earlier i said get battle tested because that will volunteer for things that you're not used to in a way it kind of reinforces how to deal with adversity and remember that you know steel is created by repeatedly heating heating and cooling okay it doesn't doesn't become strong unless you go through that cycle learn from success and failures you know um your successes are great and exhilarating failures are dampening but what can you learn from your failures right so that you don't make them again right it's in very important the other thing is uh, i always say that uh, you know uh, stay true to yourself no one will believe more in you than yourself okay so make sure that uh you know you really believe in yourself and uh walk that path you know and and walk your talk don't try to just say things and do things to be popular you know that's really not what you should do uh people respect you when you do what you say you do okay so i think uh, uh you know these are some things i uh, that have helped me on this journey i don't think i've covered all seven but i'll stop there no it's very good and and to your point like these seven 
there's lists of seven that you have, there's probably lists that other people have, but the point is to internalize these, these core tenets of a successful persona and then build on that. And then, you know, your seven will be a great place to start for somebody and they can continue to build on their own and add in some of their own life learnings and lessons and insights. But I, I also think this, the, the main takeaway is the self-awareness is, is so huge. I mean, Absolutely. the ability to even recognize. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention, which I just came into my mind, is that, you know, be curious. Uh, I went to a Catholic school and a Jesuit priest uh, once told me, he said, Sandeep, look, you can be, you can decide if you want to be ignorant or not. And that really hit, uh, hit me in as a wow, very wise statement. It was up to me. So every day since, uh, during my regular day, when people mention things that I'm not familiar with, it could be a business term, it could be an operational term, it could be something, I jot it down in a notebook. And sometime during that week, I try to learn a little bit about that. Because I'm, then I'm no longer ignorant. And I've slowly built this database uh, and, you know, and... I've got familiar with a lot of things. Now, I'm not an expert by any means or everything, uh, but I believe that helps you with knowledge. Knowledge gives you confidence. And if you use knowledge properly and you have the right attitude, it breaks down every barrier to enhance uh, advancement. What's up, everyone? Just want to take a second. Thank the sponsor of today's episode, Brevo. Now, Brevo is a game-changing platform that has the potential to supercharge your business. If you want to expand your customer base, supercharge your revenue, who doesn't, right? Brevo is the go-to platform. Brevo, you used to know it as Send in Blue, is designed to fully empower businesses to thrive. With Brevo, you have all the tools you need in one easy-to-use platform to cultivate meaningful relationships and drive sustainable, predictable growth. Brevo makes it simple and accessible to create engaging, personalized email campaigns, SMS or WhatsApp messages, stunning landing pages, automated workflows. Whether your goal is customer acquisition, retention, loyalty, Brevo checks all the boxes. It has a toolkit you need to turn the one-time browser into the long-time customer. Beyond just marketing, Brevo is a unified platform. It allows you to streamline your business ops, scheduling meetings, managing tasks and projects, all in one place. It's an ideal growth tool for marketers, SMBs, and sales teams looking for one consolidated toolbox to scale their business. It's trusted by over 500,000 businesses across 180 countries. It includes leaders like Sodexo, Louis Vuitton, Carrefour, eBay, Michelin. They all rely on Brevo's robust technology and extensive integrations to deliver unparalleled customer experiences reduce costs, drive sales. This is what you got to do. Get started with Brevo for free by clicking our link below or going to brevo.com success and use the promo code success to save 50% on your first three months of the starter and business plan. That's brevo.com success, promo code success and sign up for free. I love that. Amazing advice. The last thing that I wanted to uh, get your opinion on, um, it's it's a complicated topic. So one of the things you mentioned was stakeholder confidence, and I appreciate that. And I think that if we looked at 
the three stakeholders that we're trying to build trust and confidence with. So we have customers, we have shareholders, and we have employees. Individually, it would be not 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 easy, but simple enough to figure out a framework to build confidence with, with each of those three groups. You can focus on their main priorities. The more complicated question, and I'll, I, I would love to ask you complicated questions because it's, it's the simple questions that everybody asks, but the complicated question is how do you balance creating confidence across those three groups so that you serve all of them? Because I think we see imbalance in a lot of companies. We see imbalance when we're serving shareholders and not employees. We've seen imbalance with massive amounts of layoffs. So it's not a, there's not a one perfect answer, but what's the best possible way that we can create balance and confidence across those three stakeholder groups? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's a really, really good question because it's a deep question. And if I take a poll across the room of all the people I worked with, uh, I would get some sort of equal division on mm -hmm. some people saying it's investors, some people saying it's customers, some people saying it's employees. And I maintain that, look, without investors, you don't have money to do good things. Without customers, no one's paying you any money to continue to go do good things. And without employees, you cannot do any good things. <laughs> so it's kind of equally important. But I believe there's a framework. Uh, I've got a simple framework in the book that I have used to uh, keep all uh, these three constituents engaged and, uh, you know, in a way supportive. So the first is, uh, the first is whatever faith they have placed in you, you have to repay that faith. And that is with financial help. You have to make sure that if you're a leader, you must make sure your company is financially healthy. If you're not financially healthy, you're your investors will not invest in you. Your customer, no customer is going to continue to give you uh, a design win and products if you're going to go out of business because that's too much of an investment. They will lose too. And employees don't work for companies that lose money because their jobs are at stake and they have families to feed, right? So that's the first thing. The second one is reliability. You know, you have to keep your word. You have to keep your word to investors that you will do what you said you would do for them to trust you. You have to do that with customers. You cannot tell a customer, I'm going to give you a product by a certain date and be two months late or give them the product on time, but horrible quality. That just doesn't work. And whatever promises you make to your employee, you've got to keep them. Right. So it's extremely important to keep the trust. The third is innovation. Uh, Warren Buffett basically talks about the economic moat. Wonderful term. How do you differentiate against the others? How wide is your moat? In his, what is the differentiation between you and your competitors? Investors love that. It brings magic to your company. Your customers love it because they're going to basically benefit from innovation. And I give you a number. I give a number of examples of companies that were on the uh, on death throws, which was saved by innovation. And employees love working on cool things because that's what gets them up every day to continue to do good things, right? So uh, the, the, so those three things, last is engagement. 
you have to constantly stay engaged with your these three constituents. So you must spend time with your investors answering their questions, making sure you don't have uncertainty left behind. The same thing with your customers. You've got to be a partner, solve difficult problems for them, right? Make sure that they entrust you or trust you and entrust their products with you. And with your employees, you have to constantly give them information, meet with them. I do that through multiple methods. I have town halls. I have Ask Me Anything meetings, roundtables, uh, newsletters, in a way, and engage them even in corridor conversations so that, you know, they feel they are part and parcel of the strategy and are contributing. When you do these four things, you can keep the stakeholders really engaged. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think that, that that's we've gone through a ton. I'm going to just basically ask you, is there anything else that you would want to teach over or final closing words that you wanted to leave the audience with um, just in terms of uh, like, education for entrepreneurs or final thoughts and then we'll get like all the links in the social and whatnot but floor is yours anything we didn't go into no i think we did uh, we covered most of the critical aspects of what i have talked about but i think uh, the one uh, you know i it's the closing note in my book and uh, you know i always tell people that look in life uh, do the things you want to do work with the people you want to work with right? Believe in yourself and always trust in uh, the bright hope that the future brings. You know, every day looking at that has helped me for I'm 65 and uh, uh, I hope it helps you too. Okay. I appreciate that. No, it's very good. Um, where should people go to connect? So, I, I mean, you have a website, you have social media, where do you want to send people? And everything will be linked in the show notes as well. Yeah, so basically, you know, there's my LinkedIn profile, which I, I regularly do posts. Uh, there is my website, which is www.myfullname.com. Okay, you can also do www.yourcompanyisyourcastle.com. Perfect. It takes you to the same site. And uh, because some my last name is a little long and it's difficult to, to spell, but go uh, go check the show notes if you want the spelling. It'll all be it'll all be linked there. Yeah, and then and then of course, uh, uh, you know, there's the my book is on Amazon, and uh, you know, it's it's another place you can go look look me up. And there's my bio and other things there. Perfect. Okay. And last question, I ask everyone after your career, multiple successes. Uh, what does success mean to you? To me, success is very simple, right? Uh, and to me, for me, the way I measure success is whatever I have learned in my career, can I impart it to others so they can build upon it? If I can do that, right, I would be really, I feel I've been a real success. If I'm not able to impart what I have learned and people cannot build on it, and I can't see the people I've mentored do well, then who cares? I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own cost and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 